Hello and welcome to Better at Work, the podcast that will inspire you to achieve betterness in your working life. Discover how to navigate the pitfalls, challenges and work jerkery that may be getting in your way. Learn how simple changes, being authentic and even using humor can be game-changing. I'm your host, Carl Quinlan. I've spent 20 years helping people and global organizations to be better. And now I'm here to share my practical tips and real-life stories with you, as well as insights from my conversations with some incredible people. So join me as we explore how we can all be better at work. Because when work is better, life is better. Hello there and welcome to Better at Work. On this episode, I am joined by Margaret Moore, aka Coach Meg. Meg is someone I have admired for a while due to her amazing ability to distill the art of coaching down to a science. That's why I love Meg so much. Meg has been helping people from all walks of life discover their strengths and identify opportunities to maximize their potential in work relationships and life for over 20 years. Now, in 2000, actually, Margaret founded Well Coaches Corporation to help wellness professionals best serve their patients. And now Well Coaches is the standard bearer for science-based coaching and professional coaching in healthcare and wellness. The Well Coaches School of Coaching has trained more than 14,000 health and wellness coaches in 50 countries. Margaret is co-founder and chair of the Institute of Coaching at McLean Hospital, an affiliate of Harvard Medical School, and a course director of coaching in leadership and healthcare conference organized by the Institute of Coaching and delivered by Harvard Medical School since 2008. Plus, if that's not enough, Meg co-authored the first coaching textbook, in healthcare coaching psychology manual, now in its second edition and widely used in coach training and education programs worldwide. She's also co-author of two Harvard health books, Organize Your Mind, Organize Your Life, which I love, I've got it here, and Organize Your Emotions, Optimize Your Life. Now, Meg, welcome to Better at Work. We're delighted to have you here. Thank you, Cathal. And I just have no doubt that after people listen to your podcast, they are better at work. (laughs) Thank you so much, Meg. I hope that is the case. I always like to kick off our conversation with where did this all start for you? I know that like me, you grew up on a farm. So how did you become so interested in coaching? I didn't start out with the intention to become a coach when I started a coaching company. You know, I was an MBA C-suite type in biotechnology, and I wanted to start a coaching company to to bring coaching services to corporations. That was my original idea. And when I started looking around about uh, to to train the coaches, I found that none of the uh, coaching schools at that point had truly integrated um, a lot of great science. And of course, 20 years now uh, later, it's like a tidal wave of science that's related to coaching. None of that had been turned in, it turned translated into coaching practices, coaching competencies, coaching processes. And, you know, in biotech, I worked exclusively with scientists and physicians. And so it was something I just, I just couldn't imagine starting in coaching without there being science-based coaching. And so I realized that I needed to do something about that. And, and so when we started to build the curriculum and I started to present on coaching, people would say, oh, I already do this. 
And so then I had to do it on, on the spot. And I found a part of myself I had never met really. Cause you know, I was the MBA CEO, get things done, data, aspiration, goals, achievement, you know, forward progress, like let's go. And then I had to sit there and just like, listen and absorb and watch and notice where were people stuck in their mindsets. And that brought out me, you know, in Jung's terms, the introverted intuitive, the synthesis, the person that the skill to be able to take in data and see patterns, and then be able to come back with a question or reflection that would pop open a new perspective. And I had no idea I could do that. And that's when I was, I became a coach was that I just found the ability that I didn't know I had. Isn't that amazing? But as a kid, did it show up like when you were on that farm, which I think I heard you say before, you were trying to get off that farm as quick as you could. When you were a kid, was there any hint that you had this coaching skill? You know, in my MBA class, um, my trick was to, um, I wasn't as well prepared as everybody. We had to do three cases a day, it was sort of Harvard uh, business school stuff in Canada. You know, I just wasn't going to stay up until two in the morning reading 100 pages of cases. So I would sit and listen and absorb and then jump in at the end with a synthesis. I didn't know I had it. There was no way it got pulled out. I think I was focused on getting off the farm and getting into it life, which was the ambition, set goal, move forward, accomplish things. So no, I don't, I don't know that it was there. That whole side, the whole intuitive side was not available to me until much later. It's interesting because I feel a bit similar to you in that way in that, you know, I went and worked at an investment bank and did economics and finance and kind of, you know, was very ambitious to be you know, I suppose, do well in that kind of a company. But once I was there, I realized, oh, I'm actually quite good at coaching people towards outcomes and bringing them on the journey with me. But I had no idea of that when I was younger. So it's, it, I think it does show up sometimes in different ways. And you're kind of like, oh, that's a bit of an aha moment there that I didn't realize. And suddenly my bosses were like, going, can you go over and try and fix this team? Because they just really are underperforming. They don't have a purpose. And and you and it was great because it was other people saw that as opposed to me. That is so cool. So there's really an interesting phenomenon here because if I wrote I wrote um, an article and I've done a presentation on the Chinese philosophers. There was there's a great book about them um, by a Harvard professor, and I read I took away that their their view of life was that you don't actually are going to find yourself, you know, your authentic self. You want to put yourself in new experiences and find new parts of yourself that you never met before. And I think that is a great mindset to bring into to coaching and to work, which is to just to not assume, I don't know how to do that. I've never done it before. I don't want to do it. If somebody points out your superpower that you have, I'm sure because really did, you know, you think, oh gosh, you know, I don't see it. I'm not sure about this. But the trick is to actually just be in the flow with life and find out what happens next and then find out that you've got all kinds of things in the dark 
recesses of your subconscious that you've just not met yet. Yeah, absolutely. It's so funny. You know, I, I used to think, I wonder why this has come out as, you know, something I can do. And I think I think I, I thought back on my youth and thought there are certain people that inspired me, certain teachers who seem to get the class to work well together. And honestly, this is going to sound awful, Meg. I used to just do some of the things that I saw were good, but I didn't realize when I was a kid or a teenager, I was picking these things things up and going and connecting the dots. And then in the world of corporate, people think that you, I suppose, have to go to Harvard or something to be able to lead a team well. But all I did was go, well, I saw this person do this. She did that really well. He was a great principal of the school and he see or he or she seemed to be able to get people on the journey. It wasn't rocket science, but it was, as you said, I was in the flow of life and then I almost flowed back to things that I didn't realize were kind of influencing me 15, 20 years later. Yeah, one would call this, you know, mindfulness and action, your own internal reality, which is ambition. Like I'm, you know, the, the thing that happens with the extroverted thinking is that you see through people to the work and the work done. You don't actually see them and you're not actually with them. So the thinker, our thinkers are great at analyzing and objectivity and seeing the path forward, but we miss the moment. We miss the people, we miss what they bring and being, you know, accessing that being in the moment and being in your in intuition. And now, you know, we now know that intuition is not a woo-woo concept. 20 years, you know, coaches, do you, do you remember the, the concept of the intuitive dance, which is a high point of a coaching conversation where it is an intuitive state of flow and it's a relational flow. Several of us wrote a developed a theory around this in the mid 2000s. And that state of being in flow with with the moment and with an other is uh, a very nourishing place to be. And it's, you are, you know, kind of in touch with the present moment in the most beautiful way. Um, even if it's a difficult moment, you're still there in the moment. And one of the, you know, the great things and many people that have become coaches have found this, that it has unleashed their creativity. It has unleashed their presence. It has unleashed their empathy for everything, thoughts, meaning, emotions, situations, you know. And so it's really this in intuitive ability, I think, is, is exactly what we need in these times. I love how actually you really go deep on defining coaching and you really want coaches. And I think a lot of people, maybe some of our listeners go, what are you talking about coaches? I think coaches are just people that coach, you know, football teams or hurling teams or whatever the team is. But of course, you know, in, in corporate world, there's lots of CEOs that have coaches. Now even more junior people have coaches. But I think what I love about you is you really try to define, well, what is the role of a coach? And you say that you want your coaches to understand the bass science, because uh, you say, we can stand upon that a lot in coaching and leading. Now, I think this would be a good place for us to start our conversation because I think a lot of our listeners would not have heard of the Bass Science. Can you share a little bit on that? Because I think it's going to be super interesting for our audience. I think the first place to start is the um, Foundation for Self-Determination Theory, which is uh, an empirically based theory that has come out of 40 years of research namely led by Ed DC, who's now retired, and Rich Ryan, who's carrying the torch. 
I will butcher this, but it, it, you'll find it on their website, self-determination theory, that with the appropriate social nutriments, so relationships that support you, humans are, are, we are, we naturally are curious and want to explore our environment and learn how to master it by applying our skills and growing our competence and integrate those experiences, the challenges, the adversity, the negativity into a coherent sense of self. That's the recipe for the feeding and watering of a human is to provide the social nutriments so that they naturally, like a child, and you have a young one, right, want to explore and grow and master their environment and become a bigger, better self. So we're wired to do that. And then you throw in <laughs> life, and family, and work, and you get all messed up, mm -hmm. right? You don't do that. You're stressed. You're burned out. You're angry. You're frustrated. You're sick. Mm -hmm. You know, we're all, and, and we have this massive, you know, epidemic of depression and anxiety and burnout. And so we are not flourishing like a flower does with sunshine, wind, you know, rain and nutrients. We do not have the nutrients. And so I think the role of coaches is simply to support that process and dig it out of the clutter and the, the um, blind spots and the stresses and strains and the chaos and the disorder and all that ma that makes up the messiness of a human life. I love that, by the way. I've heard you talk about that before. And I think what's interesting is that you say a lot, the coach shouldn't be about themselves. They should be about the person. You say that some coaches can get caught up in their own self. But can you tell us a little bit more about why you are so adamant on that? Here's how I explain it. And I explain this a lot to people in healthcare. That's a professional world where you are trained to bring your expertise, to analyze what the other needs, uh, understand the diagnosis and help get past whatever the health and medical challenge is. And so here's how it works. So there are many aspects of self-determination theory, but the big ones that most people know about is that we have three primary needs, autonomy and um, relationships that support our autonomy and competence to be able to, to perform well. Okay, so as a coach, you are not meeting your needs. Autonomy, which means to bring your values and what's right and wrong and what you think's best, so your judgment, to rescue, um, which is to make you feel good because you're pulling someone out of their hole, or to fix by giving them advice, giving them the checklist, giving them prescription. When we are inadvertently, subconsciously, with the best of intentions, judging, fixing, and rescuing, we are in fact meeting our own needs. We are not meeting the needs of the other competence and relationships that support that. It requires a level of presence. You know, if, if our internal world is like um, virtual reality glasses, where you're seeing the world through your own internal stuff, what you want, you have to take that off and sit and be with what the other needs. Getting through that transformation is what happens in a great coaching program. The faster you get past serving your needs to being with the others, 
needs, wants, desires, and then intuitively seeing where they're stuck and helping them find it and get past it in the moment. That is a, you know, it's not easy. This is a very sophisticated skill set, right? Because you are going against your own grain. And thank, thank you to Ed and Rich for figuring this out. Because this is why coaching is different than other kinds of conversations is because we're called to be at our highest self and set all of our, you know, internal stuff aside so that we can be of service. It's so fundamental for people to understand that because a lot of us as leaders are coaches, really. And, you know, uh, I have found that in my career, you're often the coach. But if you bring all of your drama to it, it certainly doesn't help you get to the outcome that you want. You do have to be present with the person and hear their side of it. But as you said, sometimes the noise of life and work and stress and managers, it all gets caught up. And sometimes, you know, I have even found I haven't been the best coach at times because my mind is racing with what the next meeting is that I'm going to and, you know, the outcomes that that um, are expected. So I, I think it's a tough one, right, Meg? It is. And it requires continually working on yourself and cleaning up your own shadow, integrating your own activation, whatever arouses you emotionally. And, you know, we have to sweep it up every day, right? Every day. <laughs> the key thing is that we have to be clear. And that means we also have to give ourselves time to recharge. It's pretty hard to do this eight hours a day because you are really putting yourself on hold. And that's not healthy either, because you do still have your own needs. You know, you set them aside in service of the other. And so leadership is very demanding in that way, especially today, because the workforce is asking for leaders to care about what they want and need, not to take care of them. That's not what it is, but to really understand what lifts them up, what inspires them, what makes them sing, you know, what brings music to our lives. And um, we all need that. And we need others to help us with that. And that takes a lot of energy. So as a leader, you got to really build in a lot of self-care. You've really got to know how to take care of your mind and body in order to bring that kind of approach consistently. I think sometimes leaders forget that you can't just go on one course and think, OK, that's it. I'm ready to be a coach as well as a leader. You have to continually invest in yourself and uh, and really stop and go, am I improving here? Which is why actually I call this podcast Better at Work, because I think we've got to be better every day, you know, just try and be better today than we were yesterday and, you know, try and do things that make you better. You know, there's a phrase that we sometimes hear in Ireland, which is the grass grows back unless you cut the lawn. Well, the grass is going to grow back. So it's important sometimes, I think, as leaders to think that, hey, you know what, you might have thought you've solved or fixed yourself, but the grass grows back and new challenges come and you've got to continuously always think about ways that you, to improve yourself, uh, particularly when you're in care of other people. We probably all hope for a bit of a plateau, right? A plateau of order for a while, right? Can the world just slow down? Can my yes. life just slow down? So I can just coast for a bit. Yeah. Gosh, darn it. Like, you know, never happens, right, Meg? It doesn't. It doesn't. Doesn't matter. You know, life is just not, it's constantly changing and moving. And so you do need to be able to pull back and pause and exhale for a little bit. But then yes. you're really coming back into the flow again. 
that actually leads me nicely into my next question. We are in this world of distraction, smartphones, emails, LinkedIn messages, phone calls from your boss. It's it's really tough, right? And I don't think I know anyone whose mind isn't frazzled or distracted. Um, now, your book, Organize Your Mind, Organize Your Life, and your co-author, Paul Hammerness, I hope I'm saying his name right, yes, um, you translate the science of brain organization into six principles, and I love these principles, or rules of order, as you call them. You said that, uh, you know, the connection between disorganization and unhealthy habits is compelling. Can you tell us a little bit more on what, I suppose, why are you so obsessed with organization of your mind, and maybe a little bit around what goes wrong or what's the connection between disorganization and unhealthy habits? Paul Hammerness is a child psychiatrist and he's an expert in ADHD, attention deficit disorder. And the six rules of order are based on the science, how we understand the causes of ADHD. And there are six different domains of brain function that are not optimal. Folks with serious cases of ADHD probably have a little of all six. We all have some of some of them. So it's not like there's a, a moment when you have ADHD and a moment that you don't. And in fact, the frenzy of ADHD, you know, the frenzy is something that we all have now because um, the buzz of technology, you know, whether it's the wireless waves or the thing pinging at you all the time has left us with not a, not a moment of quiet. So we, so our brains can calm down, our bodies can calm down, our breathing can come back to normal, our heart rate variability can be stable and up. And so these rules of order for ADHD are extremely relevant. And you know, that book is 10 years old and yet it's still, and we, it was reissued two years ago because it's popular and the, and the message is still as relevant today as ever. It also translates very nicely to the steps in the coaching process, self-coaching or otherwise. Okay, so how is this connected to self-regulation? So when you have attention deficit disorder, you have trouble maintaining, finding focus and maintaining focus. And then when you finally do, you have trouble moving it around. And then you have trouble stepping back with agility to get some perspective. And with all that, you know, not being able to focus or then get stuck and then you can't move and then you, and then you can't pull back. You are not very good at regulating your behavior, which requires all of that. Okay. Which behavior do I need to do right now? So I'm going to get up. I said I was going to exercise. So I'm going to do that right now instead of, Oh, I had that thought five seconds ago and now I'm thinking about something else. Or I got deep, so deeply focused in, in something that I forgot about the exercise. So self-regulation, which is, thinking about the behavior, doing it, and then measuring how well it went. You know, you're regulating, you're thinking about what you're doing is really hard with ADHD. Um, you're, you're actually missing the regulation software. It's like, you sort of like, feel like you're losing your mind. You, you know, do you know what I mean when you're, yes, like when you're absolutely in the day, you just sort of feel like you're being pulled and pushed by, you know, the laundry machine, you know, absolutely. Failed. You know, and you you feel like you are not in control. Meg, I am the worst for this myself. I mean, this is why I turn off all the notifications on my phone because I'll get an email. I'll start working on that. And I just found, you know, I've got to take control back of things like that. You know, when you even said about the laundry, you know, I, I'll go, oh, the baskets piled up. I better go down and put the laundry on. And then, as you said, you forget that, you know, you said you'd do something else. So I absolutely know exactly what you mean, because it's often been a fight for me to make sure that uh, 
I limit the distractions as much as possible. That's why I think turning off all notifications on the phone, etc., is so essential. Yes, exactly. So um, the rules start with having techniques to tame the frenzy. That's the term that's used. And the frenzy is this um, sort of noise in your brain that, do you remember those old TVs and there used to be the fuzzy pictures? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. That, that's what it's like. Your brain is trying to focus through through that, that noisy screen and you can't see things correctly and you can't function well. And so, you know, and as we get more mature, we get, we can cover it up. We can pretend like calm and we're following, but inside our minds are racing and we're like going all over the place. You know, you would see if this was a TV screen, it would not be a pretty picture, right? <laughs> and I think it even gets worse, Meg, that frenzy gets even worse if you're maybe stressed or tired or you don't get enough sleep. I've certainly seen when I haven't slept very well or had periods of not sleeping very well, I think the frenzy gets even harder to manage. That's right, because, it, because you need a lot of brain energy to organize your mind, you know, a lot. It takes, you have to eat well, you have to sleep well, you have to to exercise, so lots of blood flow and nutrients, you know, going in there to keep everything, all the lights on, takes a lot of energy. So you want to do that. But then the payoff is the ability. A lot of people will might find this as a new idea. You have moments and, and periods in your day when you are in deep focus, deep focus, working on one thing and interacting with it in a creative flow-like way. And, you know, Csikszentmihalyi taught us years ago that if we have flow experiences every day, we're nourished. Instead, what are we doing? We're bouncing around, multitasking. And only 5% of us can actually do two things at once. They're called the super multitaskers. The rest of us are really just switching tasks really quickly. And when we switch tasks really quickly, we never go deep into anything. And then our memory doesn't work and the quality of our work doesn't isn't there and it's not satisfying and we feel terrible at the end of the day. So the payoff of calming the frenzy and getting better and better at being able to be still and be in the moment without the noise, you then can go into these deep flow periods, which you have to, you know, schedule in your day. And no matter what else happens, you're going to feel better. We're close to the end of our interview. We've only got a few other little questions for you. Now, how many times have we heard people in life say, I need to make it. I need to make it in the big city. You shared something, Meg, that really resonated with me a while back. And I would love for you to share with our listeners because you really flipped this. And I think it's a great flip. For me, I'll, uh, it comes out in my dreams, things that I'm struggling with. Sometimes they're real nightmares, but sometimes they're just struggles. And a recurring dream that I think is finally toned down is that I, so I grew up on a dairy farm and we eventually moved to a town outside a big city, Toronto. And somehow I got into my head at a young age that it was my, my future was to make it in Toronto, to actually have a, a successful career in life and in Toronto which didn't happen. <laughs> I'm in <laughs> But this dream keeps happening. And and I, I kept working with it. I do this journaling in the morning and I, you know, I, I try to process my experience every day. And one morning when I was processing this d- dream, what came into my head was it's not making it somewhere. It's making 
life. That's what you're doing. So it's not about the destination and the ambition. It's not about the ambition. That comes, but that's not the purpose of your day. Your purpose is to make a good life, make a legacy, make life better for the people that you're encountering today. And so, because it was, I wasn't at peace. You know, I thought I was supposed to make it in Toronto. Well, here I am in Boston. What's that about? And, you know, you don't arrive somewhere in your 40s and, and make it. <laughs> and then you yes. like, I make it like in the sense of in your local. <laughs> Doesn't really happen that way, um, generally. Uh, unless you I love it, it Meg. I l- so that I was, it. you know, I realized, oh, okay, that's not actually the path. That's not the journey. But it took my dream, took me a long time to figure out why, what was, why was I having this dream? And that's just a good example of the things that can distort our, our view of ourselves and our lives that you have to then pull out and examine and say, what is this? Oh, I need to shift my um, subconscious sort of relationship with this, with Toronto. I love it. And I just think, uh, you know, the whole shift from make it to making it, you know, it's just so it's a it's a great shift because, you know, right now we're making life here. We're making it, and which I just absolutely love. Meg, we are better at work. So it's all about how can we be better at work? What would you say uh, would be the smallest change our listeners could do to have an impact and have a better day at work tomorrow? What would you coach them to do? I think I would just come back to the simple basics, which is to do whatever it takes to arrive at work in an open, curious, calm place. Maybe that's exercising. Maybe it's a conversation with someone you care about. So tame your frenzy, do something like that. And then look for an opportunity in the day to be in flow, which can be a meeting, a collaborative conversation. It can be a project. It can be writing something look for that. And then at the end of the day, um, and I do this with my husband every day since I learned about it in positive psychology from the, from the researchers around gratitude, is to stop and think about what you're grateful for, both that you did, that you feel good about, but also that happened to you, you know, external things as well. And when you're in flow, you're in your groove. And so then start to notice. So then you can build on that. Okay, what took me there? And what produced that state that was nourishing that I'm grateful for? What does that mean? So you can pause and consider that the next day. So it basically opens a whole new avenue. So instead of like wrestling with your work and life, just open your mind and start doing things you like to do and see where it takes you. Great tip. Great tip. I don't know if it's Irish or English proverb, adversity is grist for the mill. No, I haven't heard of that one. So the grist is the, back to farming, the grist is the raw grain, the wheat, stock, barley, whatever. And the mill turns that into nice refined flour. And the raw material of our lives, the, adver- the what's causing us stress and strain and frenzy is the grist for the mill. And the mm. coaching process is the mill. So we're taking the raw experience, which is unprocessed and unexamined mm-hmm. and unintegrated, and we're putting it through the coaching mill so that it comes out as something refined. That's a good way of describing what life is, in fact, if Absolutely. you suffer well and live it well. Yeah, I think it's so true. I love that, actually. Sometimes I've certainly discovered through having coaching, but also even going to see a psychologist at times to think about why do I behave in the way I do today? Well, maybe that's linked to my childhood or 
where I was in the family or the role I had. And actually, I, I suppose just as you said that about the mail and the processing, I had this in my head. I went straight to me chatting about we didn't get a lot of praise in our family as kids. So that means that I look for praise elsewhere. And how does that impact me? So it's almost like that was uh, maybe the grist and then going and seeing and talking to someone was the mill helping me process it is what I was thinking as you were saying that. That's right. Because the fully integrated conscious adult place is that the appreciation externally is nice, but it's the internal appreciation that you get from within that ultimately is what makes you strong. We all need it. We all, you know, appreciate appreciation. And when you turn that need, that vulnerability into wholeness, which is, I am appreciated. I appreciate me. Then you come from greater strength. And, and so then you're not being um, blown around by the winds of appreciation. But yes. Not, yes. You're actually stable. And yes. stability is what that's wisdom, stability, that sage-like energy, which is hard to find in today's world, actually. But, you know, that's where we're heading if we do this well and more opportunity. I love how you put that, like, you know, not going in the wind to try and find praise. I, I used to say with some of my friends, it was almost sometimes before I did this work, you're like a dog, you know, like looking for the next treat, like, <laughs> you know, where is it coming from? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I've you, the way you put it was much more beautiful than the way I did, but uh, you get my uh, <laughs> my uh, analogy yeah, that there. Leads me to my other dog metaphor, <laughs> because it's true. Yeah, you know, you're looking for what you need, and um, it takes your attention away. The other is what I call barking at the moon, oh, which is not accepting things as they are, resisting the moment as it happens to be. The people that are there, the circumstances, you wish that they weren't the way they are, right? Mm. You dearly wish, but that's barking at the moon. And, the moon's and so you can bark, you can judge, you can complain, you can whine, you can blame, you can like, you know, and I do it too. We all do it. We all do it. And this idea of acceptance of the moment as it is, being present, this is the moment as it is. Every cell is doing its best in biology with the resources it has at hand. This is the best we can do. And so let's move from this place. We accept the way things are, not condone them, not aspire for better, but be at peace with them. I love that. Barking at the moon, I'm going to steal that. I love that phrase. Now we finish every interview, Meg, with the following question. Can you recall the best advice you ever received that has made you better at work? A boss once said this to me, and uh, I'm thinking back to your story of your social intelligence um, and your immediate ability to read where everybody is at and what they need. And I hope you won't, nobody would be offended by this, but the quote was, make sure you throw a bun to every bear. Wow. You know, it's just a funny way of saying, make sure that you're helping everybody do well. I love that. I think that's a great way because you know what, right? All boats rise, don't they? When you're helping others, uh, you know, as well. What a lovely piece of advice. And I suppose links as well to you obviously keeping that alive with the work you're doing in the police and all of that. So that advice sounds like it's taking you through your life and right up to the present day as you are making life. 
Thank you, Cathal, and thank you for the opportunity to make it together. It was fantastic. It was absolute pleasure to have you on, Meg. I've wanted to have you on for ages. For anyone that wants more information on Meg, go to wellcoachesschool.com. There you'll find lots more details on Meg and her amazing work, and also some of her fantastic writings and that she shares on there. And of course, I'm sure, Meg, you wouldn't mind if people follow you on LinkedIn as well, because that's where I get a lot of your information. Lots of articles there. Yeah, that's a good place to be, to hang out with. So thank you so much, Meg. It was a pleasure to have you. And I hope we get you back sometime again soon. Cathal, let's keep it going. It's really a treat to be with you. And I appreciate the opportunity to help people get better at work. It's been fantastic. Thank you so much, Meg. Thank you, Cathal. Welcome to Let's Take This Offline. I'm joined again by the amazing Annette. Hello, Annette. How are you? Hi, Kahal. I'm good. I'm good. What a few days. I I, I, I just can't believe the it. The sadness about the loss of our, our queen. Can't believe it. We're I'm here in London and I suppose London is just processing it all. And wow, big, big changes. And I suppose we've all grown up with her. And wow, I, 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 I think we're all still in shock. What an amazing life of service she's had, Kahal. Amazing, amazing lady. Well, Annette, this week's episode was with the amazing Margaret Moore. And as Meg, as she wanted to be called, Coach Meg, as she's known um, in the US. Um, what were your key three takeaways from my discussion with Meg? Well, Kahal, I so enjoyed your conversation with Coach Meg and I've Maybe got seven, eight, nine, ten takeaways, but top three. Top three. Oh, Darcy three. will kill us. For our listeners, Darcy's our producer. He will kill us if we have more than three. Yeah, three. So the the first one, the first takeaway for me is learning about the existence of the self determination theory and best science. I I had a blind spot to it, and I loved how Meg explained the theory so simply. And that the foundation of self-determination theories is that we're, as humans, we're curious and we want to explore our environment, we want to master it, and then from that, we develop a coherent sense of self. I also took away that a really good, I love that only three, the three primary needs for self-determination. So getting your head around those and so intuitive. So that autonomy, feeling you have choice to endorse your own behaviors, relationship, that need for connectedness and belongingness. And that made me immediately think of Bruce and that, you know, belonging mm. um, and engagement coming from having a friend at work and then confidence with ex- experience of mastery and being effective in your activity. And that having those three things should enable that self-determination and coherent sense of self and then I loved how you and Meg both talked about then then life gets in the way so stress anxiety busyness the modern world families jobs and so on and that's really intertwined with my second takeaway Kahal which is on the role of the coach in in all of this Mm. is to 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 support so we've got this process of curiosity leading to mastery leading to a coherent sense of self and the role of the coach and why we all would need or benefit from a coach and that the coach helps us dig this path to coherent sense of self out of the chaos and the disorder and the messiness that life is and i and i just love 
I love that. I think it's like it's interesting in relation to that coach bit, I suppose. A lot of our listeners may have never had a coach in in the kind of terms of maybe in a company you're given someone that will coach you as a leader. But I suppose in some ways I was thinking after uh, talking with Meg, I suppose some of us have coaches where they might have been a teacher in school. It might have been a colleague that had been around in the company longer than you. It's amazing how beneficial I think that's what you were saying. And it's just so beneficial to have that coach that can uh, step back and, and look at what you're doing in a more, I suppose, um, how would I put it, a little bit without all of the maybe things you carry yourself into it. They can mm. step outside of you and go, look, this is this is the situation. But yeah, what did you think? I think I was fascinated by the science of coaching and mm. linked to that, that I, I thought this was really powerful. And I want to hold on to this is that, that key tip on coaching, that if you are fixing, rescuing or oh, judging, yeah. you're not coaching because that's about mm. you. That to be an effective coach and get into the flow, that intuitive dance with another person and to be coaching, you have to put yourself on hold. I love that, Annette. I think that was such a, that was one of my big takeaways as well, because I can definitely be a fixer at times. And it's, if you are coaching, fixing is not the thing to be doing and rescuing and, you know, you can't be rescuing your, I I completely agree. Also then linked to the the other part of the role of the coach that I I loved and and that second insight around the role of the coach is that the leader is coach and meaning that leading with humanity, empathy, and and compassion. So leader is coach. And that's what, to get people to come with you, you actually need to care. So there's a message in there. Mm. You know, Kahal, I know we've both worked with leaders who um, are either leading with process or, you know, keep that frosted glass, um, a remoteness, a distance, and not wanting to get in the messiness of getting to know really getting to know their people or their, their people's people and yeah. that um, that can actually be a destructive force. So the challenge for leaders as coach is how can you wake up to that need to care and lead and coach with compassion, with ease and ease and grace. So I thought that, that those messages there around in the future of leadership that I'm holding on to those. And, and then, um, then Kahal, on to my third takeaway is really about more work and understanding that I want to do around the, the research and the writing that Meg has done, Coach Meg has done with Paul Hamanis and with uh, DC and Ryan around those rules of brain function. And I want to get more understanding of that around this, um, the brain function and understanding how we use our minds to get into deep flow and then from deep flow to meaning, wisdom and strategy. And I'm intrigued by how Meg and Paul are leveraging ADHD research and that broader, Mm -hmm. that broader insight for all of us around the accelerating pace of change, uh, disruption, frenetic day-to-day life, post pandemic, a burnout, how all of our brain functions could, uh, you know, can be adversely impacted. So those those rules of brain function, how to understand and leverage those. I'm really grateful finding out about about that research and that and all the work that Meg and Paul have done 
done then. And that, that's, that's me, Kahal, on the three insights. I feel like I've learned so much from your conversation yes. with Coach Meg. And I have a whole new toolkit and a whole new area of research to understand. And, and I need a coach. <laughs> I need a coach. Yeah. And, and I'm so, and I'm also really interested in my own ADHD tendencies, Kahal. And I've had feedback over the years that, you know, and it, um, someone's concerned that you're stuck in the reads or, you know, you, you go into too much detail. Um, you, you explain too much. And, and so that insight around what that is, what's happening there around getting stuck and not being able to pull back up to the big picture or having that awareness and consciousness of what's actually happening in brain function, you know, cause, because I, yeah, I, I love, I actually get happy, love being deep in the reads and the details. You like that, mm. yes. No, <laughs> but, I think mm. um, you, you heard her say that that's kind of one of her strengths is being able to um, synthesize things in a really simple way. I, I thought she was great. I've I followed her for quite a while. I actually got to know her through Carolyn Webb. Carolyn has been a big fan of hers as well. Some of the additions, I would say, I love her book, actually. Um, I thought I thought her book is is a fantastic read for anyone wanting to know more. It's it's called Organize Your Mind, Organize Your Life. Now, one of the things I took away from that book were the six rules of order, which you can see in the book. And actually, you can read about it even on CNN. There's different articles on it. The six rules of order, tame your frenzy, sustain your focus, apply the brakes, assess your working memory, shift sets and connect the dots. And Meg mentioned that in the episode. And I have followed that for quite a while. It's a really good way to kind of um, certainly organize your mind a little bit because we get so distracted. The other thing I think that was really interesting was some leaders lead through fear and some with humanity. And of course, Meg talked a lot about that and how it's really important um, if people if leaders want to hold on to people in the future, they're going to have to lead with humanity. And of course, I loved some of her um, great phrases, barking at the moon. I just love that because, you know, it's kind of a new one. I love that one too. Sometimes some things are outside of our control. And by getting annoyed about things, you're actually just barking at the moon. But I thought she was a fantastic guest. There was so much information and we didn't even get to touch on half it. Often with our guests, we will be able to quickly synthesize the three takeaways. And it and I had to do some a good bit of work yesterday to go, what were the really the key takeaways? There are lots more. We're going to share more in our newsletter because um, we think there's a lot more that uh, Meg uh, gave and uh, that we think will be useful for you. So sign up to our newsletter. You can sign up on betteratwork.com.au because we're going to share even more there on uh, on what Meg shared. But thank you so much, Annette. I think you and I had are huge fans of the amazing Meg Moore. Absolutely amazing. Thank you, Annette. Thanks so much, Kahal. And now we have got our listener's question. And I know that this week, Annette, our question is from Stephen. Yes. And I'll hand over to you to give us the question and we'll try and solve it for him. Thanks, Kahal. Quite a, a serious question here from Stephen. Stephen has written in, I just returned to work after a period of parental leave and I'm surprised at how tough I'm finding it being back at work. I feel guilty that I'm not doing good at home or at work because I'm trying to juggle and I don't think I'm doing a good job. My boss is supportive, but I, I feel it's lip service and my partner 
seems overwhelmed being on her own, I'd appreciate any advice. Wow, that is a real tough one. Do you want to jump in first? Yeah, I think um, on this one, Annette, um, well, we've, you know, you and I have both managed people. We've seen a lot of times uh, women and men coming back to work. And it is a real challenge that that first period back because you're trying to get back into the swing of things at work and you're missing your baby or your partner. I think in this particular case, it sounds like Stephen doesn't feel like he's doing a good job in either world. Is that that's how I read it, Annette? Did you get the same sense? That's how I read it as well, that he... yeah. Definitely, Kahal. Yeah, it doesn't seem like he's um, he's feeling like he's doing the best in either world. And I thought the language he used there about um, he feels his boss is playing lip service. That's sad if that's the case. But I suppose my question would be, Stephen, does your boss know that your your partner is struggling? Is that something that you have discussed with your boss? Um, because, you know, maybe Stephen is feeling really bad for his partner and is anxious about that, but hasn't actually brought it up with his boss. And it's maybe his mind even to, you know, based on what Meg said in the interview, you know, maybe he's, he needs to organize his mind around this to go, how can I share this news with my boss and see if there's a solution? Most managers, bosses, etc., are reasonable people. They have been through life themselves. You know, I mean, we had another question a while back on someone where someone had died in the team. You know, people, this is life. Things happen. And most managers and bosses are reasonable. And I, I, I know not all, but my advice to Stephen would be to have a discussion with his boss and say, you know, I'm struggling a little bit with the return back, um, you know, and, you know, feeling comfortable to share that, you know, his concerns about his partner and highlighting that, um, you know, is there is there something we can do? And, you know, Annette, you and I have often had to come up with different solutions for people returning to work. It might be that Stephen needs to take a little bit of extra time off or maybe he needs to work three days a week and spend two days still with his partner. But I think honesty is always the best policy. And also maybe even having a conversation with his partner to see, you know, how are they feeling? Is, how Are they struggling with it or are they just tired? Um, you know, is it, you know, I, I think, you know, maybe Stephen just my advice would be talking on this particular one and seeing what does the ideal solution look like? And maybe even thinking about that in your own head as well. Annette, sorry, that was a bit of a long answer to it, but uh, what do you think? There's a lot and they're really helpful for Stephen there, Cahal. And firstly, Stephen, my heart goes out to you and your partner. Uh, I've been there and having gone, myself and my partner, going back to work after the births of our children. And look, I think Kahal and Stephen about Cheryl Strade's Dear Sugar Advice podcast. And I've listened to Cheryl saying that she has found, having responded to hundreds of listener requests for advice, that many people know what they want to do and what they need to do. They're asking for advice as a, a means of uncovering that need and also then giving themselves permission to meet their own needs. And 
And Kahal, my sense is Stephen maybe knows what he wants to do and needs to do, and that's to be at home more. And the tension he's feeling, the juggle, is because he's needed more at home. And Stephen, if you sense your partner is overwhelmed, then I'm saying she most likely is, and help her now with more support, enabling better sleep and rest for you both. And there are real risks around letting that overwhelm develop into chronic tiredness and that leading and contributing to postnatal depression, which not to be alarmist can then lead to postnatal psychosis and ongoing mental health challenges and even and, and addictions. So that many complex causes here I know Kahal and I are not the healthiest experts as Stephen get advice and support from your maternal child health nurse from your doctor I've seen this go off track with partners that I that I've worked with have been at work and had a partner at home with with a child or children and and, and within my own family as well where they, they've let their concerns drift and there's actually been really really you know, serious consequences down the track. So, um, and, and also, can I ask this, if you do take time off, my suggestion is to please, please position this as time off from work, more time in support of your family and your partner, because this is what you want to do. You need to be there. This is what you think is right to do to support and give your partner, your relationship, your baby, your family the best start and not because your partner isn't coping. That's there's something there about doing this as from a let this be a positive and what's the right thing to do and what's what's needed and and then Kahal finally I just endorse what you mentioned about Stephen um, that percep your, the perception of lip service from your boss that might be misplaced or unfair and your manager might not want to intrude and again it's going back to Caroline Webb and episode one Kahal about. You need to say what you need so then your boss can help you and you can see if there is help or flexibility there. And then if not, Stephen, at least you know. And then you can carve this out for yourself of what, what about what you need, whether that's borrowing money for help, resigning, employing help. So there's so many options to work through so that you can be there for your family. And I just say trust your intuition. You know, I love that advice, Annette. I think that's really, you know, trusting your intuition. I love what you said there. It's it's so true. And I didn't even think of that. I think fantastic. And I think you're right. I mean, you know, the fact that uh, the the partner, she may be really suffering and, you know, to, to not let that fester. I think that's really good advice from you, Annette. I think uh, Stephen should definitely take that on board. And then on the other side of it, as both of us said, talking to his manager, as you said, he, he probably does know what he wants and maybe it is taking some extra time out or maybe it is taking, um, you know, going back to work in a more flexible way, two, three days a week. Um, but I think the message we're giving here, Stephen, is first and foremost, see how your partner really check on your partner, work through how serious it is. As Annette said, if it goes unmanaged, it may not be where you want to be. Um, and as Annette said, we're not uh, health advisors here, but, you know, I think that's really good advice from Annette to, to make sure that uh, you deal with that first. And then once you understand that, um, you know, having the conversation with your boss and, and working through that. And look, it might even be, Stephen, that while you work through 
you know, the, the root causes or, or understanding more what's happening with your partner, that you might need to take a few days off, you know, even if it's just a short term thing, because you might be a little overwhelmed and it might be that you just say, look, I need to take a, a few days off, go and work on and see what is the situation with your partner and then be able to come back to your boss with a, you know, I actually need to take another two, another month off or I need to come back to work uh, three days a week, not two days a week. Um, it's probably that step approach. Do you think in it? I, I agree. I agree, Cahal. That's a great addition in there to, to take the pause now and have some clarity to work through a plan. And then, and what yeah. are the options? And then weigh those options up so it's not knee jerk. You've, you've thought it, knee jerk exactly at the same time as realizing yeah. that this this is you know really serious concern around um, that overwhelm and and coping after the birth of a child. I think this is where life gets the priority, not work. We uh, we say when work is better, life is better. But I think in this particular case, he's got to make sure life is better first. Um, like this is the priority here, you know. And, you know, of course, there's a new baby in the mix here as well, which we didn't even discuss. And, you know, babies pick up signals too. So really, I think, um, Stephen, you're doing the right thing. I'm really glad you contacted us because... You know, asking for help is the first thing, first step. You've got a new baby. You want to make sure that baby has the best start in life. You want to make sure that your partner, this is a happy moment and that, you know, any issues are dealt with. And of course, you want to be happy too. So making sure that that relationship with work is a supportive one, as opposed to what seems at the moment you're, you feel you're back too soon. You feel like you're getting lip service. I think you need to, we need to sort that out and, and you take back control. And, uh, and I, I would say your boss, most bosses and managers and companies are very supportive of this because they've all been through it. But Stephen, if you need any more help on that, you know, Annette and I are always here. Um, give us a, a message on LinkedIn. You can send us a private message on there or anyone else, you know, that goes through any challenges. We really do like to help. And, you know, we get a lot of questions, even ones that aren't dressed as questions, advice from people. And uh, we always really enjoy helping. Annette and I were actually saying yesterday, we spent an hour yesterday talking through Stephen's one. We enjoy doing that because we like to help people. So please do feel free to give us your challenges at work or even if you've got a question that is maybe less serious in this in than this one we just had, but where it is, you know, you're trying to get your team to be happier at work or whatever it is. We really like to get all the questions. So drop us an email or a, a message on LinkedIn or Instagram, whichever is your preference, and we will be happy to take them. Annette, thank you so much. That was a, a an amazing episode this week with uh, Meg. And of course, um, those that question there from Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. And I hopefully we'll see you again soon. Thanks so much, Kahal. Really love being here. Talk to you soon. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you soon. Bye, Annette. Bye-bye, Kahal. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to Better at Work with me, Carl Quinlan. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends and rate, review or subscribe as this helps others find the podcast. For more practical tips, 
simple tools and ideas on how to aim for betterness. Head on over to betteratwork.com.au and sign up for our newsletter. Until next time, watch out for those work jerks and keep reaching for better.